1: Coming up on today's show, we'll tell you the story of a man so anxious about climate change, he is seeking medically assisted suicide. Finland to seek NATO membership without delay. Sweden soon to follow, we assume. What does that mean for NATO? What does that mean for Russia? We'll chat with Ferry to Kherkov. And new images being fed back from the James Webb Space Telescope. Have you ever heard of eco-anxiety? Essentially, it's, um, it's severe anxiety related to the existential threat posed by climate change, being so worried, so stressed out over climate change, and of course the calamities that it causes, that it's difficult to function. Panic attacks, depression, things like that. And it's something that clinicians are reporting seeing more and more often. We're talking about it today because of a case reported by Vice News. It's the case of Howard Breen, a 68-year-old eco-activist who's been involved in countless over-the-top, some might say radical, some might say efforts, as a member of the Extinction Rebellion. He's, he's super-glued himself to things before. He's gone to jail. He's undertaken hunger strikes. Okay? This is, this is the level of engagement that we're talking about here. Now... He's seeking, well, not now. He's been doing this for a couple of years, as a matter of fact. He's been seeking the right to access medical assistance in dying, medically assisted suicide, to deal with this anxiety. And he's been denied. He says if we don't change direction immediately and dramatically, he is so concerned by what's going on with climate change that he doesn't want to be here anymore. Um, clearly, we're talking about the extreme here, okay? This is the outer limits of where this is going, but Breen himself says he recognizes it's a form of mental illness. He has a doctor who's diagnosed it as such. But as you might expect, this is a it's a real gray area. Uh, it's not actually recognized as an official mental illness. There's a lot to get into. So, to help us figure all of this out, we're going to chat now with uh, Kiffer Card, who is an assistant professor with the Faculty of Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University. Kiffer, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us.
2: Uh, thanks for having
1: me. So, let's just start with the condition, as it were eco anxiety. Did I describe it properly? Is, is that what it is, basically just an extreme form of anxiety over climate change?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think lots of people have worries and concerns about climate change and that's normal because there's a lot of uncertainty about how it will impact our lives and, you know, it's good to worry about things like that. And, uh, but when that worry becomes debilitating, when it makes it so you can't concentrate on the things you need to in life, Um, that's when you start to consider this as something greater, something we describe as distress or anxiety.
1: Okay, so once we get into that territory of, as you say, distress or anxiety or whatever the case may be, we start talking about mental illness. Now, not all mental illness is officially diagnosable. I mean, describe for us how something becomes an official diagnosis and why that even matters.
2: Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of um, what we mean by official diagnoses, um, but the, the really gold standard in psychological medicine is the diagnostic um, manual, the DSM, um, and uh, that manual is basically a document that a lot of people put a lot of energy into to try to define what are the legitimate kind of uh, experiences that people um, have with regards to their mental health. And then from that, developing out, you know, how do you treat those different disorders? So how do people qualify? How do people uh, then receive help for that? And so I think that's really important. I think um, it can affect things as to whether, you know, in some jurisdictions, whether, you know, mental health services are provided and covered for. Um, it can affect decisions such as uh, uh, the case study that you mentioned um, with whether or not somebody can access the MAID program.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's important to have that official diagnosis category. Um, more and more of this, you're seeing more eco-anxiety. I mean, not to this extent, I wouldn't think, but how, is this becoming something that's you know being presented more often among clinicians?
2: Yeah, you know, as the uh, uh the experienced impacts of climate change are becoming uh, here in BC. We had the heat summer we had flooding, the um, thing. Okay, hang changing
1: on. Changing climate. Hang on there, Carefree. You were breaking and, up for just um, a sec. Can you can you can you go back to not the very? Yeah. So,
2: go ahead. Can, yeah. So, the, the, I mean, with the with the as people observed climate change happening and as affecting their rising for like heat domes, flooding those sorts of things, that is certainly increasing people's levels of anxiety. We have a study on going during the heat dome. We found that there was a 13% increase in people's levels of climate anxiety uh, before or following the heat dome as compared to before. And so uh, people are increasingly worried and concerned, and we get constant uh, contact from uh, healthcare providers wondering, what do we do with this? How do we treat it? Um, And I think it's because there's a lot of stigma around, you know, people view it as maybe more of an issue of politics than they do of medical care, and I think that's just, um, you know, that's wrong. I think uh, it is something that people are grappling with and struggling with, and they don't really have the tools and resources and supports they need to manage uh, that type of anxiety.
1: Is there any parallels? Like, I was trying to think, you know, over the course of my lifetime, I think maybe around the Cold War um, and, you know, some of the nuclear scares that happened in the 60s. Was was that kind of palpable, life-changing anxiety something that was common? I mean, other than that, have there been other historical instances of something like this?
2: Yeah, you know, people experience distress for lots of different reasons that may not be categorized as their own medical diagnoses. Um, and so it's important to think that the people who are experiencing these severe levels of distress, where they're debilitated, may they well qualify under other medical diagnoses, such as depression or anxiety or psychosis. And there's lots of things that can also co-occur. And so you can imagine that uh, anybody who ruminates or really starts to think about a particular issue and it consumes a lot of their thoughts, that can have that. So uh, people have uh, also applied for the MAID program for things like uh, rising housing prices even, uh, you know, and so that level of well, society, yeah. I think you're right that maybe during the Cold War there was... Probably a lot of anxiety and palpable tensions as people were puddling under desks and drills in and, yep. and fear of what might happen with regards to nuclear weapons. Um, I,
1: I was kind of interested to find out that we worry about what's causing the anxiety. It seems to me that the mental illness is the fact that the anxiety is becoming restricting or, or whatever the case may be. It may be causing depression. I didn't realize that the, the origin or the cause behind it was part of the official diagnostic. It, it would seem to me like if you've got lung cancer, they don't look at it differently, whether you got it smoking or you got it through asbestos. Okay, you have lung cancer, we treat it. If you have anxiety or depression, okay, you have anxiety, depression. But I guess you have to go back to the, 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 the root cause. Is that why it, it's something that we're even talking about?
2: Yeah, I think the treatment is a little bit different. If you can imagine you're experiencing anxiety because of, uh, you know, other things that you have control over in your life, uh, then there's, you know, a counselor might tell you, you know, changing your thought patterns. It might tell you to uh, try to address those underlying causes. I think the reason climate change and other things like it are unique and need to be treated differently Is because people actually are very, they have very little that they themselves can do alone to address uh, climate change. And so that threat, that existential threat is kind of there. They don't have the resources or the power to eliminate it from their lives. And also, we just can't simply tell people, ah, you just have to forget about that. And uh, so you see that's uh, kind of an issue. Whereas, you know, if I'm dealing with stress at a job, I can make changes, you know, I can. You know, I can find ways to cope with my job. I can switch careers. You know, there's lots of different things we can do. And, um, and so that's why the origin matters. Uh, of course, you know, mental health is obviously very differently than uh, chronic diseases like cancer and heart disease and all those sort of things, uh, in that it's always difficult if you have a person in front of you with depression. You know, if you have five people in front of you with depression, it's not clear what caused yeah. any one of their depressions, and it's not clear how you can treat each of those depressions. Everybody's case is going to be slightly different, and so you need to take that into account as you with
1: them. Now, back to the medical assistance and dying component to this story with Howard Breen, and, we sh- and again, this is the extreme you know example that we're using to tell the story. Um, mental illness previously wasn't reason to be able to access medical assistance in dying in Canada but that's changed recently correct mm-hmm.
2: yeah so that was uh, that was a fairly recent change and I think uh, I think the original intent of the MAID program was not to have um, you know mental health as a qualifying. It was more designed for people with terminal acute illnesses yep. in which they were experiencing acute suffering and pain, you know, from things like cancer and uh, and 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 of course, as uh, as time has gone on, we've uh, broadened our our thinking, and the medical, uh, yeah, even mental health conditions can be under some circumstances, a recent to access the program.
1: Uh, Kiefer, I really appreciate your time. You're breaking up a little bit, so I'm going to let you go, but thank you so much. Great conversation. Thank you. <music> Yesterday, Finland announced that the country would be applying for NATO membership, ASAP, and it is expected that Sweden will follow suit very soon, which, you know, in a lot of ways, is kind of amazing, really. uh. One of the many, many reasons, and there's a number that Putin has put forward for why he invaded Ukraine was the expansion of NATO and how concerning it was to him. Well, now um, the invasion itself has actually caused the expansion of NATO, at least according to Finland and Sweden. So um, but this is this is a big, big big development in this whole situation regarding European security. And to walk us through it, uh, we have Ferry DeKerkhove joining us, who is a senior fellow at the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Ferry, thanks so much for joining us once again. Appreciate your time, sir.
0: With pleasure. It's only 29 degrees and sunny in Ottawa.
1: Is it Really?
0: Yeah, I just made you jealous, just to make sure that we start this conversation on a good footing.
1: <laughs> well, it's not like it's not like we're paupers in this regard today, at least. It's a pretty nice day out here, Ferry. I mean, it's not like that, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, this really is um, yeah. probably the, certainly the fastest um, reorganization of European security, and probably the biggest since the end of World War II, right?
0: I have to say that we can be grateful to Putin for having re-strengthened this alliance called NATO, which a few years ago, Macron called it a dead entity, if you recall. So, you know, Putin is a disaster, but uh, he's quite good to strengthening the alliance to the point of having both Sweden and Finland applying. We'll see exactly where Sweden and how it's doing it, because they are in tandem, these two, because you have to understand that partly... The, the Swedish uh, prime minister would explain to you that the fact that Sweden has never become a member of NATO is also to be supportive of Finland, not leaving Finland stranded, considering its long-term, difficult, hazy relationship with Russia. Because after all, Finland was part of the Russian empire for quite a while. They tried after the after Bolshevik revolution to part ways. Uh, I won't go into the details of the history, but then during the Second World War, because the Russian had kept on trying to reconquer Finland, which had played with independence, uh, the, the Finns sided with the German, which was understandable because the Russian and the Soviet were attacking. But at the end of the war, this, this didn't play well. And both on both the first, war, first world war and the second world war, the, the Russian nabbed part of the country to the point if you look at both wars you have about 12% of the earlier territory of Finland belonging to Russia i presume that it rings it reminds you of something like uh, you know south ossetia in georgia like uh, transnistria like what's happening in luhansk so the soviet empire has always played the same role in a way uh, when it came to its w- western neighbors so but coming back to the fundamental uh, it is Considerable because you're talking about over over a thousand kilometer of border with Russia and so now NATO is even surrounding to use Putin's expression even more than than heretofore. So the, the miscalculation of Putin on both the war in Ukraine and both the NATO panic is, is really remarkable for a guy who's been in control for his country for 20 years under a very strong dictatorship.
3: So what?
1: Obviously, he's not going to be uh, happy with this development at all. What does it? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, if. Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What does he do next? Because it seems like every step just seems to backfire on him. I mean, what do we anticipate? He said, um, what did he say, symmetrical response? What does that mean?
0: Well, it's it's. I think it means that the war in Ukraine is going to continue, even if uh, you know the losses the Russians have have faced are, are continuing to grow, uh, to the point where you wonder whether there was less soldier on the 9th of May because so many had been killed and so many were engaged in, in the battle against Ukraine. But I think the the, the key aspect will be because after all, there you know, given the role the relationship that Finland and Ukraine and Russia had over the years, I'm sure there are still some very pro-Russian people there, although they seem to be dwindling since now we're talking about 82% of the Finns wishing, wishing to join NATO. Yeah. But I, I think you're going to have a a very strong uh, cyber attack, you're going to have. I'm not sure exactly what could be done, whether in the Arctic, because Finland does have, uh, you know, some space on the Arctic, not as many as, as the Swedes and the Norwegian. But so to what kind of pressure? You have to understand that Russia knows Finland very well. Because during the Cold War, Finland was the go-to, the go-in-between, but at the same time the country that caved that in to what was called Finlandization. I think the the president, Kekkoen, if I remember his name right, was the guy who was controlling all by himself the relationship with Russia. When I was in in, Russia from '92 to '95, and I had been to Russia before that, the Finns were both the the locus of spying between East and West, but there was also the guys who did the deal between East and West. Uh, When you had problems of currency, problem of control, problem of goods, the Finns were always the go between if you wanted to make a deal in with the russian right. during the soviet era you had to go through the Finns. so so the nexus of relationship is quite extensive so that may mean that brother putin can do some some damage but i i i really don't know because well, I, Finland is already so well integrated within the European Union, because, after all, it is a member of the EU already, and it, and it has some various arrangements with, with the European Union, and therefore uh, and its relationship with Germany has made it a full-fledged partner uh, Nokia has allowed on its own nearly to rebuild the economy of Finland. So there, there's, there's a lot of mischief that can be done, but I do not expect Brother Putin to start invading a country that has, is going to join NATO. Can they do some mischief before it is actually enacted? That's a question that needs to be addressed. But I think the way things have gone in Ukraine, why would Russia start trying to nibble part of Finland? Because I I think that it would precipitate an immediate decision of of NATO to acquire, to, to integrate with Finland, and the mess or the military reaction could be extraordinary. But you know what? Tell me how you predict Putin, and I'll tell you what you are going to swim in tomorrow. (laughs) You know, exactly. That's the fundamental problem. But I, I think you started very well the the whole conversation by saying it is a disaster for Putin. It is a disaster. It's a. You know, he, he, it's it's to prevent Ukraine from becoming a member of NATO. Yeah. We've all recognized privately that you know, uh, sorry, Ukraine and NATO would be too much of not a gamble but a, an aggressive, uh, uh, you know, res- response or, or attack on on the on the Soviets or the Russian or the or Putin. But but the, the the NATO and Finland and Sweden. You know that's huge from any standpoint. From the Atlantic Alliance, from the the quality of the thinking that is going to go through now in terms of how you rebuild the alliance over and beyond. The, the American contribution, you know, the European common defense uh, is, is something that is going to grow. They'll find some new ways of doing things with the American, but at the same time, sustaining more and more a European part of the of the alliance because you can all, you can rely on the U.S., but you can also think that maybe brother Trump is going to be back in two three years, and there you could be you could see a much greater mess. So I think. This joining is going to be bigger than what we already see now that is, that is happening uh, so it's, it's a threat for, for, for Putin. It's, uh, you don't forget also that Finn is not just a nice little country with a few people it also has because of its neutrality a quite powerful military right. talking about 900. Thousand people, you're talking about, you know, the F 18, uh, you've got there, they're buying F 35. We're talking about a powerful entity that has always had to be actually more armed than members of the alliance. The same thing with Sweden, who has its own, you know, military production. So we're talking about increasing the width, the breadth, and, and of course the, the, the space of defense. From NATO, but you're also adding some very, very good partners in the process.
1: That's the thing, Frey. It's not like you're bringing in some some weak sisters here. These these will actually be very important contributors to NATO. Um, and do you do you anticipate more moves like this? I mean, there are other countries, like you know, you say we've talked about Ukraine, and that's going to be a, a quagmire that will probably take years to resolve. But yeah. do you see so NATO I, continuing to grow?
0: Well, what I'm more worried about in the short term is because, you know, the, the decision to join is, uh, has to be uh, unanimous, and we've already seen Erdogan from Turkey who is saying, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Well, on the other hand, he's got to remember that both Sweden and Finland were uh, the, the one to support, uh, such, particularly Sweden and Finland, even though they were not members of the alliance, they were very supportive of of uh, you know, Turkey becoming member of NATO. So I don't know whether there'll be a nice tit for that. I'm more worried about the guys like, uh, you know, the Hungarians saying, oh, well, this is adding to the threat or whatever. So I'm more worried about that than I am by anything else. But in terms of further enlargement, uh, I think we're reaching pretty much the, you know, the, the max, what, about 30, 30 countries or even more than more than 30 countries in Europe. Now, uh, I, 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 I'm i trying to figure out which one is missing unless you want to put some of the Maghreb countries in it. But I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Ferry, thank you so much for the insight. I always enjoy it.
0: With pleasure. All the best. You too. And enjoy the weather.
1: Yeah. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> That is Ferry de Kerkov, who is just a wealth of knowledge on all things Russia, NATO, Eastern Europe. He's, uh, he's a fantastic guest. He's a senior fellow at the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Um, you know the James Webb Space Telescope. It's been uh, almost six months now since this thing was sent up. It's a... Uh, what is it, 1.6 million kilometers from Earth? Something like that. It's a far, far distance. Uh, $10 billion, and it was launched with the promise of expanding our understanding of the universe we live in. It's now into its final stages of testing, and it continues to perform just as expected. So let's get an update on what we're finding out. We're going to chat with Els Paters, who's an astronomer at Western University. Uh, Els, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us.
3: Uh, happy to join, thank you.
1: So, we've seen this telescope and things just seem to be going perfectly well, right? Everything performing as designed at least so far.
3: Yes, absolutely. Actually, and even some things are are working better than expected. So, everybody's super excited uh about the performance of the telescope.
1: Now, this week a major development, we saw some test pictures come back, is that correct? Tell me what happened.
3: Yes, yeah, so uh basically uh in You know, in the last uh, couple of uh, weeks, what uh, the team has been doing is making sure that the mirror is perfectly aligned and that uh, we know what the uh, exact position on the sky is that each instrument is looking at. And so some of those images that were uh, obtained during that process were released this week. And if you just look at these images, these are just absolutely spectacular. I mean, they're super exciting and just, you know, makes us more excited about what's going to come from that once uh, science operations officially start.
1: Um, what has it been? I know it's just test photos and things like that. But what has it been, for lack of a better term, aimed at? What, it, what is it taking pictures of so far?
3: So the images that were released uh, this week is from a field in the large McLennan cloud. It's a nearby galaxy at a distance of about 160,000 light years away. It's one of the closest galaxies to us. It's very well known. And the particular field that they uh, chose for this uh, test was a field that has been studied extensively with Hubble. Yeah. And so the uh, exact location of all the stars in the field is very well known. And so that helps with the uh, um, calibration of the uh, James Webb Space Telescope. Gotcha. And so they're using that information from prior Telescope to help with the uh, you know, alignment and the calibration of James Webb.
1: That makes perfect sense. Okay, I think we're all familiar with Hubble, and we've all seen some of the amazing pictures that it has sent back. How much... How many orders of magnitude better are we anticipating the James Webb to be?
3: It's a, a, a kind of um, a hard, comp- uh, a difficult comparison. I think, the, James, depending on which parameter you choose, uh, the improvement uh, with Hubble can, uh, can be an order of magnitude more. Uh, the thing to realize, uh, Hubble mostly works in the obstacle. And James Webb, uh, will, James Webb will basically work mostly in the infrared. There is a little bit of overlap, um, but they kind of probe uh, quite different wavelength machines. And so, and in addition to that, of course, uh, James Webb has a much much larger mirror, and so that means it's much more sensitive to that, to to Hubble. And so, uh, these uh, improvements uh, will, um, you know. Um, just uh, will allow James Webb to open uh, a completely new uh, part of the universe that was basically inaccessible before. And so many, many discoveries are about to uh, come out of observations with James Webb.
1: Yeah, it's so amazing and so exciting. You're, you're going to actually have some time, right? I mean, that's how it works. Different scientists can book time. Is that basically, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, is that is that fair?
3: Yes. Yeah. So basically what will happen at some point, there will be a call for proposals and then anybody who is uh, willing to put in the time can write a proposal and say like, hey, I want to study this yeah. target and I want to answer this science question. So please give me time. And then when all the proposals are collected, then there will be a team of scientists that was basically going to rank those proposals. And then depending on the amount of time that is available on the telescope, the top Um, in this case, I think it was about 22% of the proposals will get time on the telescope.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Um, uh, Yeah, we'll continue to update as we go. Uh, Els, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us.
3: I'm happy to talk on JWC anytime.
1: Excellent. We'll we'll look you up again soon. Thank you, Els. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.